All right, turn your Bibles to Revelation 19. Let's open with a word of prayer. We'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, may you minister to every heart that is here. Part of what we'll look at today is the Lamb's Book of Life. I pray if anybody here doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. So Lord, be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. So quick background because we got a lot of verses this morning. So Revelation is not a difficult book to understand. It's the only book in the Bible that actually has an outline written out for it. It says in Revelation 1.18, the things which were, the things which are, and the things that are to come. The word for revelation is apocalypsis. It means the unveiling of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is also a book in the Bible that promises that those who read it and study it will be blessed. So a lot of people steer clear of Revelation because they don't understand it. And what I want to encourage you to do is always look at it as being literal unless it's impossible for it to be literal. So the things which were, that's in chapter one, we see Jesus in heaven in his glorified body and who he is. Uh, you know, we see the flames of fire and all that he is. And so it's important to know that he's no longer a baby in a manger and he's no longer a savior on a cross, but he has seated at the right hand of the father making intercession for us. And he's coming back with us very soon. Amen. Amen. Then we see in chapter two and three, the what age? The church age. The church is mentioned 19 times in chapter 2 and chapter 3. The letter to the seven churches at the end of the church age, which we are in right now, in the beginning of chapter 4, John, who's writing this letter, he's on the island of Patmos. They boiled him in oil, but he wouldn't die because God wanted him to write this book, amen, through by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's called up. So he has this vision and now he's having a vision from a heavenly perspective. In chapter 4, verse 1, the word called up there is harpazo in Greek, but it's rapturo in Latin, where we get the word for rapture. Now, once he is called up to a heavenly perspective from chapter 4 to chapter 19, we do not see the church mentioned ever again. And this is why I believe that the rapture takes place at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, so we won't be here for it. If you were here for the last several months, you saw all the righteous judgment of God that was being poured out on a wicked and unrepentant world. At the same time, it was an opportunity for people to get saved. So the tribulation is seven years long, begins in chapter four, and it ends at what we saw last week in chapter 19, the second coming of Christ. So the rapture is Jesus calling us up the second coming is Jesus coming back with us. If you were last week, you remember that there's going to be a great battle that takes place with the Antichrist, who's also referred to as the beast, the false prophet, and we know that they are tools of Satan. So the Antichrist is going to rise up in the midst of all the righteous judgment of God. We know that from the heavenly perspective that there's a scroll. Who, who's the only one that can open the scroll? Okay, and he opens the scroll, and each seal that he opens, more judgment comes. But with each time that judgment comes, another opportunity for people to be saved. We know there will be a remnant that will get saved. The Christians are all gone. We've all been raptured. We're not here. We're having a heavenly perspective. We're hanging out with Jesus for seven years in heaven. During that time, though, there's going to be 144,000 Jews, 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, that will be Jewish Billy Grahams telling everybody about Jesus. 
We also know that there will be, more than likely in my opinion, Moses and Elijah, but two witnesses that will be preaching the gospel. They will be struck down dead. The whole world will see it, and they will raise from the dead. They used to mock that. Well, now we know with cell phones, you can certainly see anything that happens anywhere in the world in a moment. Amen? We also will see that many people will convert. I believe that more Jewish people will get saved during the Great Tribulation than any time in human history, because they are still God's chosen people. Amen? And God's not done with them yet. So when we got to chapter 19, if you have your outline, grab it. It's two-sided this week. We already covered most of 19 last week. I tell the message last week, God wins. God wins. Events on earth that cause a heavenly hallelujah. We saw Almighty God righteously judging the world. Then we saw the marriage supper of the Lamb. So who is the Lamb getting married to? To the church. And And who is that? That's us. So we are the bride of Christ. We saw the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then we saw Jesus returning. We returned with him. He's riding on a white horse. When he came to Jerusalem the first time, he was on a donkey, an animal of peace. This time he's coming back on an animal of war. We will be with them. Those in the world, the Antichrist and the army that is mounted up is going to turn to fight against Almighty God, and we know who wins. Amen? And so as we come to the end of chapter 19... The false prophet and the Antichrist have already been thrown into the lake of fire. We saw that last week. They're already thrown into the lake of fire. They're done. The devil is still around. And so as we're going to see here in this morning's text, let's first look at the last part of 19, and then we'll look at the outline for 20. When the enemies of God are destroyed, look what it says there beginning in verse 17 of Revelation 19. It says, then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of the captains, the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of the horses of those who sit on them, and the flesh of the people, free and slave, both small and great. God's judgment will come. The enemy will mount up against him. Now, Be reminded that during the tribulation, one of the things that the enemy is going to do, that the Antichrist is going to do, is basically start his own religion with himself as the Messiah, if you will. And to align with him, to be able to buy and sell, you have to take the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast will either be on your wrist or on your forehead. By the way, calm yourselves down. The mark of the beast is not the vaccine. It's not your credit card. Can I get an amen to that? People panic. And I'm not saying you should take the vaccine or not take whatever. Do whatever you want. Point I'm making is the people that take the mark of the beast will be people that are here after the rapture of the church, and they will know that they're aligning themselves with the Antichrist. You know, there's some places now where you can just put your hand out and it pays for your food. Have you seen this? So, okay. And people will say, well, I don't want to do that. That's the, it's not the mark of the beast. It's technology that may be used by the mark of the beast, but we don't need to worry about it. We've already got a mark on us. It's the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're born again. We're new creations in Christ. We're going to heaven. And so no one will ever snatch us out of his hand. So we need to be, we need to understand that it's coming, but we need not to be fearful of it because again, the church will be raptured first and then these things will take place. So now we've seen that This battle has taken place, and what has been left is a bunch of the people that turned against the Lord, and they're all dead. And what had happened is when they took the mark of the beast, they had basically said, I want nothing to do with God. And once they take the mark of the beast, they cannot be saved. It's too late. 
So now the righteous judgment of God comes and literally their bodies are laid out and he calls literally vultures to come along and gather up the dead, what's remaining of the dead bodies. And again, that's a pretty, when you read stuff like this, these are the kind of things that people love to ask pastors. What about him wiping out all those, all those people in Canaan? Or what about him wiping? Always read the context. All these people who have now been destroyed by God in a battle are people that have mocked God, shake their fist at God, wanted nothing to do with God, killed the people of God, cursed the name of God, shook their fists at God. So guys, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. He desires that none should perish, no, not one, but he's also a holy God who must righteously judge sin. Amen? And so that's what's taking place here. He, his desire would all of them would get saved, but he will not force salvation on anyone. As you've heard me say many times, salvation is offered universally, but it must be accepted individually. Look at verses 19 to 21. It says, I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, the armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. And these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So they are cast into the lake of fire even before the end of the tribulation. It's not even over yet. In, in a sense, the second coming of Christ is about to begin. The millennial kingdom is about to take place. And these two greatest adversaries of God, great pe people who are hated Christians and wanted to see them put to death, who deceived many, God allowed them to go through the entire tribulation, but at the end of it, he brings his righteous judgment. This battle that takes place is called Armageddon. Uh, when we go to Israel in January, we will go to the place, it's called Harmagiro. It's literally at the foot of Mount Carmel, where Elijah called fire down from the sky in the Old Testament against the prophets of Baal. And you can look out and you see the most naturally created place for a war anywhere in the world. And it's on that place where we will come back with the Lord, riding on white horses, and the enemies of God will turn against him, and God will destroy them. The beast and the false prophet received special treatment here, cast into the lake of fire alive before the great white throne judgment. Maybe you're here visiting today and you didn't know that hell was real. Let me clue you in, hell's real. It's not only real, it's eternal. There's no breaks, there's no second chances. We're all going to spend eternity somewhere, either in the presence of Almighty God in heaven, or we're going to spend eternity separated from Him. And the Bible says, choose today whom you will serve. And the rest were killed, it says in verse 21, with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, that's Jesus, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. No one escapes the righteous judgment of God. And again, his desire that none should perish, no, not one. And my prayer for everyone here this morning is you would not leave here without the Lord. The Lord has you here for a reason, not by chance. Amen? Now, as we come to chapter 20, I'm going to get to the outline, flip it over. I want to finish chapter 19. We'll look at chapter 20. Imagine a world, this is going to be hard to imagine because of the world we live in now, where righteousness and goodness were prevalent, where there was no injustice, no court ever delivers an unjust verdict, where everyone is treated fairly, a world that 
What is right is right and true and noble, marks every aspect of life, including relationships, business, education, and government. Imagine a world where there is a complete and total enforced and permanent peace, where joy abounds, where good health prevails, so much so that people live hundreds and hundreds of years. Imagine a world where the curse is removed, where the environment is restored to a pristine purity of the Garden of Eden, where peace reigns even in the animal kingdom, so much so that the wolf will be lying down with the lamb and that children will play with vipers and my wife will be hugging a lion because it's coming. I already know that. <laughs> She's always wanted to do that, babe. You can do that in the millennial kingdom. Talks about children will play with, le- with leopards, right? To calf and the young lion and the fatling together and the little boy will lead them. Imagine a world ruled by a perfect, glorious ruler who instantly and firmly deals with sin. Humanly speaking, that description seems far-fetched, a utopian fantasy that could never be a reality, yet it actually and accurately describes what the world will be like during the future earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ. Guys, he's coming, and we're going to rule and reign with him on the earth for a thousand years. And there's going to be, for those of us coming in glorified bodies, no pain, no sorrow, no suffering, no death. We won't age, and we will feast. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? No cholesterol to worry about. It's going to be amazing, and we're going to rule and reign with the Lord upon the earth. The restored and radically reconstructed earth of the millennial kingdom will be paradise regained. The thousand-year reign of our Savior over the earth is divinely planned and promised, and the culmination of all the redemptive history and the realization and the hope of all saints. So look at there at your outline, and if we, have, if we get through it, we get through it. If we don't, we'll stop at the appropriate time and finish up next week. But here's the outline. I just tell the message, the millennial kingdom. Millennium is a thousand years. So the millennial kingdom will last for a thousand years upon the earth. I tried the thousand year reign of Jesus and the righteous judgment of Satan and those who choose to follow him. Now what's going to make the millennial kingdom so amazing? Here's four things that will. First of all, Satan will be bound. He's going to be chained up and thrown into a bottomless pit where he will be for a thousand years, unable to deceive anyone, lie to anyone, or tempt anyone. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? Satan is the father of lies. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates you. He will lie to you. He will tell you that sin is pleasurable, but he won't. And you know what? His main thing is he wants you to just feel guilty. He wants you to fall into sin, feel guilty, and be separated from from the Lord in your relationship. During the millennial kingdom, he will be bound. Now, there are some people that have a different end times perspective than I do, and they actually believe we've been in the millennial kingdom since AD 70. Problem with that is that means that Satan's been chained for 2,000 years. And if Satan's chained, that brother's on a long chain, amen? Because when you look at the world around us, does it look like Satan's been chained up? Does it look like Jesus is ruling and reigning upon the earth? Absolutely not. But praise God that those days are coming, and I cannot wait to have those thousand years on the earth with the Lord. Number two, we will rule and reign with them during those thousand years. Again, we won't age. We'll be like the resurrected body of Jesus when he came back. Some people think we'll be able, he walked through walls. Maybe we'll be able to do that too. That'd be pretty cool. But the reality is, can you imagine ruling with the Lord? 
The Bible even talks about the fact that we will be given responsibilities because here's what's going to happen. There will be people that will go through the tribulation that will live and come out the other side and they will have earthly bodies. And during that thousand years, those people will reproduce. So there will be people that have been born again, have already been to heaven, come back with heavenly bodies. That's us. And there will be people living on the earth with bodies like we have today, married, given in marriage, having children, all that will be taking place. And we will be in positions of authority over them, again, with a whole desire to lead them to the Lord. And God will be on the throne. Now, what we will see, point number three, that Satan at the end of a thousand years is briefly going to be released. He's going to be unchained and let loose for a short amount of time. And the reason this is going to happen is all those who grew up with the Lord in charge have never had a choice to make on whether to follow him or not to follow him. And when Satan is loosed, he's going to try to deceive the people that are here, the ones who are still in human bodies, to follow after him. And the crazy part is, after a thousand years of Jesus ruling, there will be many who will still follow Satan. They will still choose to follow the enemy. And we're going to see a picture of that in tonight's text. Now at the end, he's going to be loosed for a short amount of time, and then he is going to be crushed and thrown into the lake of fire with the Antichrist and the false prophet, never to be let out again. Praise the Lord. Amen. And then finally, we're going to see the great white throne judgment. If we get to this, this is a judgment not for believers, but it's for people who have not been born again. Because as believers, we will not face this because Jesus already paid the price for us on the cross of Calvary. And what's going to happen at the great white throne judgment, people who have rejected the Lord are going to be brought before the Lord and they're going to be judged for their works. And what it really means is they're going to see and be revealed to them clearly that they are sinners, and someone must pay for our sin. By the way, sin, it's an archery term. The distance between where the arrow lands and the bullseye. Bullseye's perfection. So sin distance is how far we miss the mark. How many sinners we got in the room? Okay, as I say every week, if your hand's not up, you're lying and you're prideful. Can I get an amen to that? We're all sinners. We've all missed the mark. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so our sin must be paid for, and either we let the Lord pay for it, as he did on the cross of Calvary, and we ask him to redeem us and forgive us, and to wash us white as snow, and to make him not just Savior, but Lord of our lives, or we will face the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennial reign, and that day what will happen is we will be having to go and pay the price for our sin ourselves because we did not allow the Lord to pay for it for us. So let's begin there looking at the millennial kingdom First of all, we're going to see that Satan is bound for a thousand years. Verse one, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Jesus having returned as king of kings and lord of lords means every president, every king, every dictator, every governor will be removed from office. Praise God for that. Amen. Every politician fired. All of you are fired. All the governors, you're out. All the presidents, you're out. All the kings, you're out. Jesus on the throne, amen? Amen. Praise God, I can't wait. That alone is worth the millennial kingdom right there. Can I get amen to that? Thank you, Lord. I'm so tired. You know know, when a politician's lying, his lips are moving. Can I get amen to that? Should we vote? What's the answer? Vote, vote biblically. Let's do that. 
But praise God that our focus and our passion and our hope is not in the White House. It's not in any governmental figure. It's in Jesus Christ in the throne of grace. Amen? Now, when Jesus comes, now it's time to deal with the devil. So Jesus comes. He's already wiped out the enemy. He's starting the millennial kingdom, and he's going to deal with the devil. How's he going to do that? Notice what it says here. He's got the He's got the chain to the bottomless pit, and he sends an angel. He doesn't even name the angel. Could, you know, he could have used Michael the archangel. There's only three angels who have names in the Bible, contrary to what the Mormons might teach you, okay? There's only, there's only three. It's Lucifer, Michael, and Gabriel. Michael and Gabriel, good. Lucifer, bad. <laughs> Amen? Now, they don't mention the name of the angel, and I think the reason for that is that any angel can whip the devil. <laughs> Truthfully, any angel can whip the devil. The devil's not as great as he thinks. And the devil is not something that we need to fear. Any angel can overcome Satan, and I believe so can any born-again, spirit-filled believer. Now, we don't address the devil. We let the Lord take care of him, but we need not fear him. Amen? Amen. He will tempt you, but when you, you resist temptation, what does he do? He flees. When you pray, guess what he does? He flees. So he sends an angel, anonymous angel. It doesn't say Jesus didn't come, Michael didn't come, Gabriel didn't come. God sends this angel from heaven, chain in hand, to deal with the devil. And again, while Satan is more powerful than any unredeemed human being, he is no match for an angel, an angelic being, or a spirit-filled believer for that matter. And again, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Look at verse 2. He laid out, he laid hold of the dragon. Who's the dragon? That's Satan. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on it, so that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So they laid hold of him, they bind him, they cast him, they shut him up, they set a seal on him. And again, Satan uh, tried to imprison Jesus in the tomb, but he couldn't. But the Lord is going to imprison Satan in a bottomless pit. Amen? When the time comes to reign Satan in, it only takes one angel sent by God to restrain him in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now, I know this may be hard for some of you. That means that Satan has only been able to do anything because God allows it. Anything that comes to us has to go through God's hand first. So even though we are tempted by the enemy, devil can't make me do anything. Flip Wilson was wrong. Amen? Devil made me do it. He can't make you do anything. But he can tempt you and he can try to draw you away. But praise God that we are, that, you know, we are greater. And so the Lord allowed it. Now, the bottomless pit was mentioned in Revelation chapter 9. Do you remember when the locusts came up out of the ground and were you know, stinging people and they couldn't die and they're crying out for death? They came from the bottomless pit. So into that same bottomless pit is where Satan will go for a thousand years, a prison of sort for demons where those horrible and scary demonic locusts came from. And again, he will be bound for a thousand years. He will have zero influence upon the earth during the millennial reign. And again, I just so love, so love that picture by itself. Just having Satan removed. Is our world getting more satanic or less? Way more. And they're not even being shy about it anymore. And the enemy is being praised. There's a day coming 
when he will be no more. Amen? There's no man who simply binds Satan with his prayer, by the way. People say, I'm binding Satan. I bind thee, Satan. There's no Bible verse about that. So you don't need to be, don't pray amiss. Don't be making stuff up. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) And people will say that. I bind Satan. We don't bind Satan. The Lord will bind him for a thousand years. The Lord is the one who binds him. Can I get an amen to that? Now, we can pray for the Lord to put a hedge of thorns of protection around people. We can pray that when temptation comes, that God gives us the strength to resist the devil. Amen? But we are not to address the devil. We don't talk to him, leave him in God's hands. So the conquest of Satan and his powers do not come by any human effort. It only comes from the Lord. Now again, so it says there, so that he should deceive the nations no more. That's Satan's whole plan. Here's his whole plan. Deception. And how does he deceive people? The first thing he does is he challenges the word of God. He's been using the same tactic since day one. What did he say to Eve in the garden? Did what? Did God really say? Did God really say that? I think you heard him wrong. He said, here's all he said was, enjoy everything. Don't touch that tree. That's it. And what do they do? Touch the tree anyway. Why? Because Satan deceives her and tells her and challenges. And this is what the world does to us today. You know, people are getting so far off track, calling themselves Christian, but living lives that are so ungodly. And what's happening is because they no longer read the word of God, they listen to the culture and they listen to the enemy when he says, God didn't really say that. You know how you overcome a lie? You spend time in the truth and faith comes by hearing and hearing by... It's the word of God that transforms our lives. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, amen? Open it, read it, obey it. And when we read the word of God, it gives us the strength to stand up for the truth and against the lie, amen? But the sad part is that so many today, you have Christians saying, well, I don't think homosexuality is a problem. It's not anywhere in the Bible. Get over it. Here's the Bible. Well, the Bible doesn't say that we shouldn't live together. But here's what the Bible says. Well, God doesn't have a really problem. You know, people drink wine and getting liquored up. So here's what the Bible says. The enemy will lie to you. The enemy will challenge the word of God. And the only way you can stand against the lies to know the truth. Satan is the father of lies and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? And so we need to be able to stand. He's a deceiver. He's trying to deceive you right now. You're thinking about when is he going to stop so I can go home for the football game? I get it. Satan wants to distract us. It's what he does. He's a deceiver. Falsehood is always his greatest tool, and Satan disguises lies as the truth. You got people knocking on your door trying to preach, you, preach to you a lie, and it's tragic and it's heartbreaking because they're buying the lie and believing it's the truth. Amen? And we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. So he should deceive no longer. The word deceive there is a cause to stray to lead away from the right way. Listen to the words of Jesus to the Pharisees. This is in John chapter 8. He says, you are the father of the devil. He said that to the Pharisees, very religious people, by the way. He says, you are fathers of the devil. You are of your father, the devil, and desires of your father you want to do. He's a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan is a natural liar. So when you tell the truth, you're being Christ-like. And when you tell a lie, you're being Satan-like. What are some of the lies that he tells? Sin is harmless. It's not that big a deal. 
It's okay to sin. Go ahead, do it. He'll entice you with it. And he'll always entice you with the thing that he knows you're tempted by. You've heard me say it a hundred times. You could put five million pounds of cocaine in my driveway, leave it there for 10 years. That's not a temptation for me. But I may be tempted by something else that someone who might be tempted by that is, right? They're not tempted by it, but I am. So the enemy's going to come after you, and he's going to know your weak spot, and he's going to try to tempt you to draw you away. He's the deceiver. But guys, here's what we need to understand. Sin comes with a heavy price. That when we sin, we are separating ourselves from God. We are walking in open rebellion. And even though the Lord will forgive us, and by the way, has Satan ever whispered this in your ear like he has mine? Go ahead and do it. He'll forgive you. Anybody besides me ever heard that? Go ahead and do it. He'll forgive. He's forgiven you before. You can go ahead. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can sin and then he'll forgive you. But here's the reality. The closer we get to the Lord, the more we hate our sin and the more we love God. Amen? But he's a father of lies. And, and so the reality is that God will forgive you if you ask for forgiveness, but the consequences may still remain. If I go out and cheat on my wife tomorrow, I'm going to be divorced. <laughs> I'm not going to be a pastor anymore. Yeah, God will forgive me, but my life in so many ways will be destroyed. Amen? And what Satan never, when he tempts you, he doesn't remind you of the consequences. He tries to remind you that the Lord will forgive you. The other, thing, the other lie he tells is that God is cruel. That God, you know, why would God kill these people? Why, why won't God just save everyone? If I don't choose God, I'm going to burn in hell. That doesn't seem like a very nice God. Well, here's the reality. There's no one who loves you more than God does. For God so loved, agape, with selfless love, loving someone outside of itself more than itself. It's a love that gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Sorry, guys. I just started talking about him giving his son. Two years ago today, my son Mark went to heaven. Tough day for my family. But you know what? It makes me appreciate more that God sent his son on purpose to die so that we could be forgiven. Amen? That's the greatest act of love. I, I wouldn't have sent my son for you guys. Sorry. Love you. But I love him more. Amen? And I miss him every day, and heaven is better, and I'm gonna cl he closed his eyes on earth, he opened him up in glory, and he's going to be back here hanging out with me during the millennial kingdom, so let's bring it on. Can I get an amen to that? It says in Romans, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God isn't cruel, he's loving. He's gracious. He's merciful. The other thing the enemy will tell you is there's many paths to God. Jesus isn't special. There's many ways. As long as you believe in something, that's another lie of the devil. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Muhammad is dead. Hare Krishna is dead. Joseph Smith of the Mormon Church is dead. Charles Taze Russell, Mary Baker Eddy, L. Ron Hubbard, all these false religion leaders are all dead. We can dig up their bones. Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. Amen? We don't serve a dead false prophet or a dead religious leader. We serve the true and living God who has triumphed over sin and death. See, that's a lie of the enemy to tell you that Jesus is just like everybody else. Well, guess what? Jesus rose from the dead. Everybody else didn't do that. Amen? And notice it says that only Jesus, and again, only Jesus paid for your sins. He's the only way to heaven. And then at the end of it, he says, till the thousand years... 
We're finished. So a thousand-year period is often known as a millennium when Jesus will rule and reign upon the earth. And notice it says he's going to reign with his peoples. Who's that? Us. You know what's really cool? We're going to be ruling with people from the 1500s. I'm going to go up to King David and go, I'm named after you, bro. <laughs> right? We're going, to be, we're going to be hanging out with people that went before us, loved ones that love the Lord. We're all going to be back here together again on this planet, ruling and reigning with the Lord. Guys, it's amazing. Amen? And there's people that say, well, there's things I want to do before the Lord comes back. Get out the way, bro. I, I have a vacation I want to go on. I don't. Come quickly. Can I get an amen to that? Come today. Who's going to be on the earth during the millennium? Who's going to be here? Well, first of all, we know that because of the righteous judgment of God, that many will have died. And those who died not knowing the Lord are in Hades. We'll get into this later. Hades is not hell yet. It is a waiting place for those headed to hell, the lake of fire, which will come after the great right throne judgment at the end of the millennial kingdom. That just gave everyone in the room a headache, okay? You can, you can watch online and I talk fast, I get it. So here's the point though. So there will be people that will make it through the great tribulation. Some will have given their lives to the Lord. Others will not have yet, but will still make it through. Now, keep in mind, there's 8 billion people roughly on the planet right now. It's a rough number. If I had to guess how many Christians there were, I'm going to be generous and say it's 25%. It's probably less. So that means 2 billion people will be raptured. And there'll be 6 billion left. And then the seal judgments and the bowl judgments and the trumpet judgments will take place. And another probably of those 6 billion left, 3 to 4 billion of them are going to die. Because a third of the world population dies in a day. A fourth of the world population dies in another day. Hellstones are falling from the sky. There'll be those that join in the army at Armageddon. They're all going to be wiped out. But that still would mean maybe a billion to two billion people are going to make it through. I don't know this for sure. I'm just, but so let's just say it's a billion. If a billion people are on the earth and they're here for a thousand years and because the, the earth is returned kind of to the state of what the Garden of Eden was like, it won't be completely perfect like it will with the new heavens and the new earth. People are going to live a lot longer. They'll probably live three, 400 years. So how many people do you think if you, have, if you start off with a billion people, how many will you have a thousand years later? You could have 10 billion. So the world's going to be populated, so we're going to be the ones that come back and rule and reign with the Lord over the people that are in the millennial kingdom. It says in Matthew 25, Jesus will judge between the sheep and the goats at the end of the tribulation. Sheep will enter the millennial kingdom, and goats will go away into eternal punishment. So again, so even at the very end of the tribulation, it's the wheat and the tares. Some are going to be separated unto judgment, and some will be allowed to go into the to the millennial reign, but at the same time, they'll still be in human bodies. They'll still be getting, more than likely, getting married and having children. All that will be taking place. We will be in our heavenly bodies, and so we will be reigning over them. Now, one thing I want you to know about heavenly bodies, when you see Jesus in his heavenly body, everybody recognizes him. He doesn't look that much different. And a heavenly body just means we're going to look kind of like we'll be recognizable like we are now, but we're not going to have, we can't die. What are the skateboarders going to be doing, right? You know, you can't die, <laughs> right? Can't die. People are going to be, 
Pastor Tim's going to be at Mavericks just going for it. Can't die, amen? <laughs> so we're going to have these bodies where we can't die, we can't perish, right? And that, but there will be people on the earth that we will be ruling over. So this will take place until the thousand years are finished. Satan is bound, but he's going to be let back out. So during the millennium, Israel will be the superpower of the world. During the millennium, the citizens of earth will acknowledge and submit their lives completely to the Lord Jesus. All citizens will be submitted to the Lord. There will be no war on the planet because God won't allow it. Again, the animals will relate to human beings like it was in the garden. Lions laying down with lambs, people, there's no fear of animals. You can interact with all of them. That's going to be pretty amazing. You can go to the zoo and there's going to be no walls. Praise the Lord. During the millennial kingdom, King David, the Bible tells us, will be the ruler over Israel. How about that? That's pretty cool. During the millennium, will be blessing and security for the nation of Israel. During the millennium, uh, there'll be a time of purity and devotion to God. During the millennium, there'll be the rebuilt temple and restored temple service on the earth as a memorial to what God had done in the past to Israel. During the millennial, saints in the resurrected state will be given responsibility in the millennial earth according to their faithful service. That's in Luke and in Revelation. Jesus has a spot for you to serve during the millennial reign. And he's preparing you for it now. So even as God's using you now, he's also preparing for you to be used for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom. The millennial is important because it will reveal the depths of man's rebellion and nature in a perfect environment. See, a lot of people will say, well, I only sin because of the environment I'm in or because how I grew up or because who my parents are or because the neighborhood I was in or whatever. But what's going to happen is these people are going to live for a thousand years without any of that, and at the end of it are still going to choose the enemy, proving that it's the fallen nature of man, not the environment that needs to be blamed. Amen? We believe that Jews will be converted, they will be restored to their own land, and praise God, I'm looking forward to those days. So point number one of the millennial kingdom, Satan is bound for a thousand, there's no way we're getting through all of this, okay? So don't panic. Point number two, I'm looking, I'm like, really? Okay. (laughs) Point number two, we will rule and reign with the Lord for a thousand years. And I saw the thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or the image, and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So who sits on these thrones? Well, we know in heaven that the 24 elders are sitting on thrones. We also know from this verse, these verses, he really specifically points out the people that died during the great tribulation. And I think that these verses here are a great encouragement to those who will be living during the tribulation. Now, if you're living during the tribulation, if you get saved during the tribulation, do you think you might be reading Revelation? Just a little bit? Do you think you might be studying God's word? And as you're living in the midst of it, and the beast is running rampant, the Antichrist and the false prophet, and Christians are being beheaded, would this verse not be a great sense of encouragement where it says here again, it says here, and For the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast, nor the image, nor received the mark on their foreheads or the right hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. He's letting them know, you're suffering now, 
but joy comes in the morning. Amen? You're going through great difficulty now, but there's a day coming when we are going to rule and reign with the Lord. We are going to be amongst that crowd. We're going to come back with the Lord when the Armageddon takes place, and then we are going to live here for a thousand years with him, ruling and reigning with our Savior. You know, Jesus promised to the churches in Revelation 3, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcome and sit down with my father on his throne. The judgment was commended to them, the saints ruling on and over the earth. It tells us that we will be judging the world. In 1 Corinthians, it says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? These people are going to be beheaded for their faith. They're going to lay down their lives for Jesus, but it will never be in vain, and God will reward it, and God will use them in a mighty and a powerful way. No suffering is wasted, amen? Whatever suffering we go through for the cause of Christ, everyone in the Bible used mightily suffered greatly. You cannot find an example where that's not true. You can't, so when we want to be used mightily by God, we need to recognize there will be temporal suffering, but praise God, because in the end, it's going to result in eternal glory, and that's what really matters, amen? This is for but a little while, says in 1 Peter. This suffering is for but a little while. Even if it's the rest of your lifetime, that's nothing compared to eternity. Now, let's take a look at these verses here because these are confusing to some people. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So here's what happens. When the Lord comes back, anybody who died in their sin, rejecting the Lord is not going to come to life again. They're not going to live again on the earth. It's not going to happen. So they've already died. They rejected God. Even those who died at Armageddon, right? They're going to be struck down. They're dead. But those who died in the Lord, we have been raptured. We're in heaven. We come back with the Lord and we will rule and reign with him upon the earth. So that is the first resurrection. We've been risen from the dead in a sense we went to heaven, we come back with the Lord, and we're going to live on this planet with him. But sadly, those who died without the Lord will not be here in the millennial kingdom. They've already made their choice. Their lot has been cast. They're going to spend eternity separated from Almighty God. So in the first resurrection, it's a resurrection of blessing. God's going to bless us. It's a resurrection of power. It says, over such the second death has no power. The resurrection of privilege, they shall be priests of God, shall reign with him a thousand years. And then it says the rest of the dead, those who do not have part in the first resurrection are not blessed. They're not, they don't have power over the second death and they have no privilege. Those who are not part of the first resurrection are, the, are, the, are as cursed as those who are blessed who are a part of it. We're going to be incredibly blessed because we follow the Lord and the people that reject him will be incredibly cursed and incredibly punished. First, it says this in John chapter 5, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. When believers come back to earth, we will be given new bodies so that we can live that thousand years upon and will be without pain, sorrow, suffering. We cannot die, cannot get sick. Perfect bodies. The people who reject God will get new bodies, but their new bodies will be bodies that they will have so they can endure suffering forever. This is how people are like, I came to visit church for this thing today, and really? Guys, 
the Bible's telling us this because we need to be warned about it so we don't have to go through it. Amen? Before somebody goes to hell to spend eternity there, they have to run over the cross of Christ to get there. I truly believe that. I truly believe that salvation is offered over and over and over and over. And it's only in our arrogance and our self-righteousness and in our pride that we tell the Lord we don't need Him, we don't want Him, we reject Him. And guys, you can't tell the Lord you reject Him for your entire life and then expect Him to spend eternity with you. Because guys, those who know the Lord here are going to spend eternity with the Lord in heaven. Those who reject the Lord here will never know the Lord after they die. Amen? So if you have a relationship with the Lord now, it will never end. And if you never have a relationship with the Lord here, you'll never have one in eternity. And so this is an exhortation. It's a word of encouragement. It says there in verse 5, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years was finished. This was the first resurrection. So at the end of the thousand years, we're going to rule and reign with the Lord. Now is going to be the great white throne judgment. Now those who have died are going to be brought back to that judgment. And we'll see that next week because there's no way I'm getting to it this morning. We're going to see that they're going to stand before Almighty God and they're going to be judged for their works. Now, can your work save you? What's the answer? No. no. Now, good works are fruit of salvation, but they're not the source of salvation. And sadly, a lot of people have been caught up in thinking, well, it's kind of a big scale. And if I do more good things than bad things, then I'll still make it into heaven. And, and there's this mentality that we have to earn it. And there's a mentality. I've told this story before. I had a coworker that he was sleeping with this other married woman at our work. And they would go to a hotel in the morning, you know, commit adultery, and then he would take her by the Catholic church so she could run in and do her Hail Marys or whatever, and run back out and get in the car and feel cleansed, and then go, and then the next day do it again. That's not repentance. <laughs> Repent means to turn away, amen? It's not a scale, well, as long as I pray enough Hail Marys, then it doesn't matter, you know, and then if the priest gives me absolution, and then, no, the only absolution we get is on the cross of Calvary when Jesus Christ said, it is finished. And only when we surrender our life to him can we be forgiven. Amen? And so he's saying here that, look, those who know the Lord, we're only going to die once. And when we do, we're going to open our eyes up in heaven. And then we're never dying again. And we're going to be in his presence forever. Amen? And, we're gonna, and, and praise the Lord for that. So he's telling them that the condemnation is coming for those who reject the Lord, blessing for those who walk with him. These two events are separated by a thousand years because the rest of the dead are not given resurrection bodies. They die, and then a thousand years later, they've been in Hades. Now, Hades, and you see in the Bible, you see words like Hades, Sheol, and Gehenna, right? And people get a headache. Which one of those is hell, right? The lake of fire is hell. So what happens is Hades is like a waiting place, just like paradise was before Jesus went to the cross. So they're going to be there in a place of torment, but it's not going to be the lake of fire, and they're going to be there until the final judgment takes place at the great white throne judgment, which we're going to read about next week. So they're going to be there for, you know, uh, the, the, you know the people that died 1,500 years ago, they've been there this whole time. Lazarus and the rich man, Luke 16, rich man's still there. At the end of the millennial reign, the great white throne judgment is going to take place. They're going to be called up out of Hades. They're going to be put on trial and they're going to be found wanting because they rejected Jesus. And then they're going to be sent to the lake of fire where there's no escape for all eternity. Guys, why? Churches don't teach this stuff. You know why? Because it's not comfortable. 
And people don't want to hear that. But here's what we need to understand. How many of us deserve hell? We all do, amen? And it's a loving God that rescues us from hell, amen? And he rescued us by going to the cross and taking your sin and mine upon himself and suffering and dying. And pay. He pays the price as if he lived your life so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. That's the God that we serve, amen? And so this resurrection, this end time stuff, this is why people steer. I have pastor friends that I know, not Calvary guys, but pastors, and they go, oh yeah, I don't teach that book. It's too difficult. Well, the Bible, it, the Bible says I'm innocent. Paul said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I've not failed to clarity the whole counsel of God. We don't skip over the difficult stuff. It's in the Bible for a reason. Amen? So those are the first resurrection. The saints will be given a body equipped for the blessings of heaven, and so too the damned will receive a resurrection body suited for the agonies of hell. The second death is defined in Revelation 20:14 as the lake of fire. See, because we've been redeemed, because we're a part of the first resurrection, we will never understand that death, that second death, spending eternity in the fire. It says in Romans 5, 9, Paul wrote, having not been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, having now been justified by his blood. See, because of his blood shed on the cross, we've been justified just as if we've never sinned. Here's how it works. We're all sinners. We give our life to Jesus we're justified, just as if we'd never sinned. The moment you give your life to the Lord, you're a new creation in Christ. He gives you a down payment on heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit who will never leave you nor forsake you. We'll also see this next week. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And thank you, Jesus, he has no erasers in heaven. Amen? He writes your name in there. And once your name is in there, as we're going to see next week, that the people who are written in the Lamb's book of life will spend eternity with the Lord, and the names who are not there will face eternal judgment. My, my question for all of you, is your name there? Is your name there? Christianity's not a hope so, it's a no so. I don't hope I'm saved. And when you ask people, I was baptizing people at Pirate's Cove, I shared this guy's story with you guys, and 4,500 people got baptized in one day, and I would ask each one of them if they knew the Lord, and the last guy said, I'm working on it. And I said, it didn't work that way, bro. And so I asked him, and we spent 15 minutes, and I led him to the Lord, and then I baptized him. Because, guys, Christianity is first you must recognize you're a sinner. Until you recognize you're a sinner, you'll see no need for a Savior. Once you recognize you're a sinner and sin has separated you from God, you'll recognize your need for forgiveness. Now, no one else can forgive you. Only one person went to the cross. Only one person would die. Only one person did die. And only one person rose from the dead, and it's the one who created you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So being a good person will not get you into heaven because you still have a sin problem. Being religious will not get you into heaven. You still have a sin problem. Your sin must be taken care of. If God has one sin in heaven, what does he have? Earth part two. So there can be no sin in heaven. So we, we, this sin problem needs to be taken care of, and that's why Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The second death is being sent to a place called the lake of fire. In Revelation 20, 14, which we'll see next week, the death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. A person's first death, death occurs when their physical body dies, when their spirit and body are separated. When a person rejects Jesus, they will suffer a second death, eventually being sent to the lake of fire and being eternally separated from God. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for a second death. As he was dying, he said, it is finished. And the words he used 
means paid in full. So he paid the price for us. He paid the price for you. Last verse, he said, blessed and holy is he who has part of the first resurrection. Of such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him for a thousand years. See, for us, death has no sting. For believers, we close our eyes on earth, we open them up in glory, or we're going to be raptured and we're going to be in, in the presence of Almighty God. Then we're going to come back and we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And then when that's over, we're going to see in chapter 21, a new heavens and a new earth. Perfect. And then we will be with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. So, the millennial kingdom. Satan is bound for a thousand years. We're going to see next week at the end of it, he's going to be let loose. The people that have lived for a thousand years who are not in their glorified bodies, who have never died, who are still humans in a sense, those people will have a choice to make. Many are going to choose Satan. Then we will see the great white throne judgment when everybody who does not know the Lord is brought before him and all will be separated. Now, will we face a judgment as Christians after we die? What's the answer? Not the great white throne judgment, but we will be judged. It's called the Bema Seat Judgment, and it's where we will be judged on how faithful we've been to use the gifts that God has given us. Amen? God has gifted every one of you who wants to use you for his kingdom and for his glory. So in closing, again, the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Jesus, the righteous judgment of Satan and all those who follow him. Satan will be bound for a thousand years, and then we will rule and reign with the Lord for a thousand years. And I cannot wait for the millennial kingdom. How about you? Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask, Lord, that if anybody here today doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, our hearts break for anybody here who is still spiritually dead, doesn't know you, that's headed to eternity separated from you. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that even now you would draw them unto yourself, that you would soften their hearts. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, if you've already done it, you don't need to do it again. If you raised your hand a long time ago and you didn't mean it, maybe you should do it again. But salvation is confessing, yes, I am a sinner and I'm ready to surrender my life to the Lord. The word is repent. The word repent means to turn around, to change of mind, a change of heart. You've been living a life for yourself. You've been living a life led by your flesh. You have not had a relationship with God. And by, the, by divine appointment, God brought you here today to hear this message. And now you're recognizing, you know what? I am a sinner. And you know what? I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't done anything that can pay for my sin. And I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to turn away from my life, take myself off the throne, surrender my life to Jesus, not just as Savior, but my Lord. And that he would rule and reign in my life, that I would be adopted into his family, that I have a promise of eternal life. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to the Lord. Again, he says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. I'm going to give you a chance to just confess him right now by raising your hand. Anybody here at all? Don't leave here without the Lord. Loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. He's a loving God, a gracious God, and a merciful God. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for the promises found in your word. We thank you, Lord, that while suffering takes place in this life, it is but for a little while, and there is a day coming when we'll be in your presence, seven years in heaven, a thousand years reigning with you on the earth, and then heaven in your presence for all eternity 
Thank you, Jesus. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen.